10 Minute Talks. A podcast in which the world's leading professors explain the latest thinking in the humanities and social sciences in just 10 minutes. Hello, I'm Professor Bensie Wall, a linguist and honorary professor of sign language and deaf studies at University College London in the Deafness Cognition and Language Research Center and also a fellow of the British Academy. Unlike most linguists, the languages I research are sign languages and in particular British Sign Language or BSL for short, the preferred language of tens of thousands of deaf people in the UK. In fact, BSL is the third most widely used indigenous language in the UK after English and Welsh. Like other sign languages in deaf communities around the world, British Sign Language is a natural language. It wasn't invented by anyone. And the first descriptions of BSL and of deaf people using BSL go back to the 16th century. BSL is not related to English. It has its own vocabulary and grammar. But because of Britain's colonial history, Closely related sign languages can be found in Australia, New Zealand, Malta, and in some parts of South Africa, India, and Canada. Just as the case for spoken languages, there are many sign languages. In the European Union, for example, there has been documentation of 23 official spoken languages and 31 sign languages. But it should be noted that the boundaries between spoken languages and those between sign languages are not always the same. For example, Swedish and Finnish sign languages are closely related, although the spoken languages are very different. Uh, and British sign language and American sign language are actually unrelated to each other, although hearing people in both countries speak English. And in fact, BSL and ASL are not mutually intelligible. While spoken languages, as we all know, use movements of the mouth, the tongue, the teeth, and so on, sign languages use movements of both hands, the upper body and face. And of course, spoken languages are primarily received through audition, while sign languages are primarily received through vision. And recognizing these modality differences and their impact on language structure has actually caused a revolution in linguistics. We can no longer think of uh, language and speech as being equivalent. Speech is the realization of spoken language, but not of sign language. And so we've had a revolution in linguistics, psycholinguistics, and also in our understanding of the neurobiology of language, how the brain works. I'm involved in research on many different aspects of BSL and in the remainder of the talk, I'll discuss some of my recent research uh, in the following areas, sign language and the evolution of human language, sign language and the brain, including studies of signers with acquired neurological impairments such as stroke, and how children learn BSL. I'll end with a few comments about the future of BSL. 
Now, some writers have suggested that the earliest human language was sign language, but we can't look at the sign languages that exist today uh, as providing any direct evidence for how human language evolved, because clearly the people who use sign language today are humans with language-ready brains. They're not uh, evolving into something. However, sign languages do give us an important clue, and, and that's that human communication has probably always been multimodal, combining visual and auditory channels. When human language was not um, created for um, talking in the dark, uh, it is always accompanied for spoken language by gesture, and that's also true of sign language. You also get gesture as well as the language. Um, so it's, it's probably wrong to think of languages having evolved initially from some visual gestural system and then become auditory. It's probably always um, had features of both. Of course, deaf people don't use the auditory component. There is one striking feature of sign languages that does suggest that the, the development of symbols, words or signs to represent reference, objects, concepts, actions, and so on, is far easier in the visual modality. Spoken languages do make extensive use of iconicity. For example, in English, it's difficult to think of a word that refers to a sound that isn't iconic, words like murmur, whisper, clang, thud, meow, but most reference are not associated with sounds. And therefore spoken language doesn't represent them in any sort of imagistic way. In contrast, humans of course, primarily perceive the world visually. And it's clear that movements of the hands can be used to represent qualities of a reference, such as its shape or its movement. Uh, and thus it's relatively easy for sign languages to be created. And there are many examples of new sign languages that have come into existence um, within the last half century. But I think we can't use these differences between sign languages and spoken languages in modern humans as direct evidence for anything about the evolution of human language. Now, I think what is important is that we, as I said, use um, multimodal communication, gestures, and signers don't just use their hands, they use facial and body gestures as well. So there are similarities, but of course, all languages differ from each other. That's why we have different languages and different languages, whether they're spoken or signed, differ in what they express about the properties of objects and events. And of course, we can see that in spoken languages very easily. For example, in English, we don't mark the gender of nouns. You know, they're not masculine or feminine or neuter. So in English, a word like friend can, doesn't specify whether it's a male friend or a female friend. Whereas in Italian, 
which does mark gender, uh, the speaker needs to pay attention to whether the friend is male or female, and this changes the form of the word. And because every noun in Italian has a gender, not just those relating to people, but to objects as well, Italian speakers are always forced to pay more attention to the gender of the noun than English speakers do. In BSL and other sign languages, because a spatial uh, visual modality is used um, to talk about things and actions, where a spatial expression is called upon, such as the shape of objects or the spatial layout, signers will express properties like the location of objects in a room in a way that takes their relative positions, I mean, of the objects into account far more than spoken languages. So signers are constantly thinking about space. An example of this is that in English, you would say there's a table in my kitchen. Whereas in BSL, a signer may refer to the table <clears throat> in a way that reflects its actual physical position, its orientation and its size in the kitchen. And therefore signers may pay greater attention to these aspects of the world than do users of spoken languages. <clears throat> and in turn, these differences may underscore some differences in brain networks that are used in processing language for by signers and by speakers. So research on sign language in the brain is quite an important avenue of research. In the light of these differences in, in form and, and function between spoken languages and sign languages, we may ask whether the same areas of the brain are used to process sign language and spoken language. And remarkably, the answer to this is mostly yes. Our studies comparing which areas of the brain are involved in the processing of BSL sentences by deaf signers compared to the areas of the brain involved in processing of English sentences by hearing non-signers uh, show remarkable similarity. But both English and BSL in relation to the brain are primarily left lateralized. So the left side of the brain does most of the language work and both spoken and sign language make use of well-known areas of the brain involved in language processing, Broca's area and Wernicke's area. These areas have been known for well over a hundred years to be crucial areas in the brain for language. Additionally, signers who've suffered damage to the brain, for example, as a result of a stroke, show very similar language problems as hearing speakers with damage in the same brain regions. For example, damage to the front of the brain on the left-hand side can lead to problems with both sign language production and spoken language production or aphasia. And sometimes this problem is present even though gesture, the ability to gesture remains unimpaired. And that shows that sign language is linguistic in its underlying form. It's not just gesture. Uh, both BSL signers and English speakers who have right hemisphere strokes show 
a loss of facial expression and um, have problems in understanding emotion expressed by other people. And this lack of ability in processing face information um, often means that questions and negation are not understood in sentences where that meaning is primarily conveyed through intonation, so auditory prosody in spoken languages and visual prosody in sign languages. Uh, although in both cases, language remains intact. So the actual syntactic structure is unaffected. In other neurological conditions that signers have, such as Parkinson's disease, um, disturbances in movement can result in what's been called micro signing. So very tiny signing in which only really the, the fingertips are used. And that's comparable to the micrographia or tiny writing that you often see in hearing people with Parkinson's disease. So we've got sign language in the brain. What's the story behind development of sign language? Now, children usually learn their first language through interaction with their family and with others in the environment. And deaf or hearing children who have deaf parents learn a sign language in a parallel way to hearing children of hearing parents. They see the language about them and they learn it. But only five to 10% of deaf children have deaf parents. So for many deaf children, acquisition of a first language poses a great challenge. Their parents are unlikely to know BSL at the point the child is born. And even with the provision of a cochlear implant, uh, acquisition of spoken language may be delayed or incomplete. And where English is the only language provided to the child, often in an erroneous belief that bilingualism in BSL and English would be disadvantageous, there are often long-term effects of delayed first language acquisition in terms of efficiency of language processing in the brain and subsequently in educational achievement, including poor literacy and poor exam achievements, despite deaf children having perfectly normal nonverbal intelligence. Our research strongly indicates that children should be exposed to BSL during the period when they're also acquiring spoken language in order to acquire skills in effective communication and for the development of cognition, including concepts linked to abstract ideas such as time and space. Early BSL input can act as a bridge later to speech and literacy. And children with signing parents exposed to BSL as a first language have been found in several studies to have good communication in both English and BSL, good language skills, good levels of literacy and good socio-emotional development, another area which is of importance when looking at deaf children. So to sum up and thinking about the past and the future, the history of sign languages like 
that of many minority languages can't be separated from a study of their relationship with the majority language communities which surround them. And the history has been one of suppression and even of punishment of children for using BSL in schools in, in the late 19th and through most of the 20th century. Uh, in 2021, where we are now, there are contrasting possible futures. There are pressures such as the decrease in opportunities for deaf children to use sign language with their peers because of the shift to mainstream education where a deaf child may be the only deaf child in a school and interacts via an interpreter or communication support worker with everybody else in the school, but doesn't have direct conversation. Um, and possibly uh, a decrease in the deaf population in the future because of medical intervention, advances in genetics. German measles was at one time a major cause of deafness in children. Happily, that's no longer the case. At the same time, against these sort of negative pressures, there's much increased interest and demand from the hearing community to study sign language, including um, a new GCSE in BSL that is expected to start within the next year or two. There's a much increased use of sign language in public contexts, including provision of BSL English interpreting um, for individuals on broadcast media, on the internet, and increased pride of the deaf community in their distinctive language and culture. And it's to be hoped and expected that sign languages will continue to be living languages into the future. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this British Academy podcast. Please subscribe, share and rate this series from wherever you get your podcasts. For more events and conversations, please visit www.thebritishacademy.ac.uk or find and follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.